Hello, friends. This is Nathan Powell. I co-host a brand new podcast called Dynasty Double Take with Dan Senio. We join the DLF family of podcasts with unique Dynasty arguments in a short 10 to 12 minute format. Dan and I love to debate Dynasty, and we hope you enjoy our banter as we discuss topics like trade offers, coaching, draft capital, and much, much more. DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. That's James the Brain. I've got nothing for you guys today. Nothing. Just insert comment here. Yeah, what is that about? <laughs> That's Stompy Sam Lane. So I was listening to Alex Jones today and he's saying that they're harvesting babies for their organs. Listening to Alex Jones is the equivalent of mailing it in. Not Joe Rogan, just relax. <laughs> All right, that's a little better then. Uh, man, I could keep going on that for a minute though. Anyways, I am John Nuts and Berries. Hold the berries, Hogan. This is the Super Flex Super Show. Yeah, anyways, you should be listening to the Super Show. If you've got time to listen to Joe Rogan, you've got plenty of time to get caught up on the Superflex Super Show and go ahead and listen to it again if you haven't already, because we've been we've kind of been killing it, boys. Uh, we had an awesome time last week with Dynasty Outhouse. This week we don't even have a guest, um, but we're we're bringing back an all-time favorite. But before we get to that. I, I, I'm just going to speak for myself real quick, and I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to do the same if you choose to. Sure don't have to. Um, but I need to give a shout-out to all of our listeners, all of our, all of our friends across the, uh, the Dynasty and Superflex community uh, for all the votes on the Fantasy Follows. We went one, two, three, the host of this show. We were the top three fantasy follows for the super flex and two QB category on Ryan McDowell's follows. And not only that, the super show itself was in the top 10. Um, our, uh, and our former co-host um, on a hiatus or who even knows, but Travis beard, he even made it in, in the top 10. Um, despite the fact that he's been way too busy to, to be at all active on Twitter. So it just, uh, just an amazing amount of love, amazing amount of support, and just really, really appreciate that. It, it means a lot, and uh, just, uh, just, just wanted to acknowledge that real quick. Acknowledge all our Superflex Super friends, the Superflex Army hashtag Superflex Army out there. Um, just thank you guys all for the support. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to thank all the listeners too. I mean, the fact that you guys, you know, think enough of us to, to go out and to, 
to you know nominate us for such a uh, for such an awesome honor we appreciate it for sure and then everyone in the in the the dynasty community especially on twitter you know thank you guys so much for for um for showing us how much you appreciate us we definitely uh you know don't don't do this for for that reason we just want to help people you know win fantasy championships basically it um, and we have fun doing this, but uh, at the same time, it's always nice to be acknowledged for for the uh, the work that we put in. So definitely tells us that we're going in the right direction, guys, that we're covering Superflex the right way. So um, that, to me, is the most important thing. So uh, what do you think, Stompy? Well, you, you made me feel welcome. I mean, I've only been host for, what, a couple months now, and somehow I got in the top of that Superflex list. So I really do appreciate all of you that listen. Um I appreciate you two for giving me a chance and yeah, you guys, this entire community definitely can make a guy feel special. Well, you're a ringer, man. That's why we brought you in and, uh, and everybody knew it. Um, but, uh, yeah, love to see, uh, love to see you on that list as well. Everyone acknowledging and embracing you as a co-host on this show. Um, just to, just the same way we did everyone seeing what we saw. So, um, yeah, yeah. Love fest forever. We could easily do that. Uh, what we're going to do tonight, though, on this episode is we're going to bring back one of our one of our classics. And this was actually somewhat requested by, uh, a, you know, our, our earliest and our biggest supporter um, from the very beginning. Bobby Koch at Wrecked Fantasy. He's been he's been one of our, our biggest supporters. He's been on the show multiple times. And uh, he live tweets when he listens to the podcast. So if you're not following him, um, you uh, you should you should check it out and uh, get you can even get involved in the conversation with him. But uh, he requested this one, and that we haven't done this in a while. We certainly haven't done this yet with Stompy, and we need to bring back. You are nuts. So these aren't bo- these aren't going to be hot takes necessarily. You know, there's a there's a little bit of that. But here's the thing, boys. There's a difference between a hot take and a bold prediction. And a hot take generally is something that, I mean, it's not really actionable, you know? It's not really something that's very likely to happen. It's not really predicated on, you know, any kind of analysis even for the most part. So to me, they're not particularly useful. Whereas a bold prediction is something that, you know, if if trends continue and maybe even get just a little bit of a bump, a little bit of extra juice to them, th- these are things that can actually happen. These are things that we that we believe actually could happen. There, that's not us saying that they for sure will, but these are things that could absolutely happen here in the next year that will affect the way we play Dynasty Superflex. For the you know for the remainder of this non non point scoring season, and then for the 2019 NFL season and fantasy season, and then after the 2019 season, going into the 2020 non point scoring season. That one's actually kind of hard to say, by the way. Russ, Russ, and uh, Dynasty Outhouse and Brian Har, you might need to work on that one for us a little bit. I'm all for letting you guys name it, but man. That one's kind of a mouthful. So, anyways, this episode, we bring him back. You are nuts. Let's do this thing, boys. 
All right, so this first one, part one, this is going to be for the remainder of this offseason. So it, it it involves, you know, everything leading up to the draft, the NFL draft itself, training camp, preseason, everything leading up to opening day of the NFL season. Let's get some bold predictions. Let's see your nuts, how nuts you are, Stompy. <laughs> no, I think you got the first, got it right Let's the first your time. You're going to see Let's my see nuts. <laughs> All right. Now so, I can see. I thought you were crazy, but now I can see you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my nuts prediction uh, for this offseason or just before the season starts is that Marcus Mariota will not be the starting QB of the Tennessee Titans at the start of the season. So we've got, we got news today that Marcus Mariota was much more injured than they let on last season which is obviously not a good sign. Um, so we don't necessarily know what's going on um, with his arm there. And uh, having listened to a podcast with um, Ethan Turner, who is a, I think he's taking his boards soon, but he's a physical ther- therapist doctor um, said something along the lines of it takes a lot longer for nerves to regenerate. And we saw that with guys like um, Jalen Smith for the Dallas Cowboys. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Um, Peyton Manning never did fully regain feeling in his hand. That's why he had to wear that glove. Right. And so that is very worrisome for Marcus Mariota for a quarterback who relies on feeling in his hands. Um. And he's not Peyton Manning, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) The other aspect is he has been very bad the last two seasons. Um, And maybe, maybe that's hyperbolic, but he has not been good the last two seasons. His interception ratio uh, went up to three points or sorry, inter interception percentage went up to 3.3 in 2017. Um, his while his touchdown percentage dropped uh, to 2.9, and then it was 3.3 this last season. Uh, he has yet to throw for more than 3,500 yards. Um, he actually had his highest completion percentage this last season, which is kind of astonishing considering, but he only threw for um, 2,500 yards in 13 games, which is less is 180 yards per game. Uh, so he he basically has gone downhill after a promising start to his career. Now, on the flip side of that, we have Ryan Tannehill, which does, that name doesn't inspire confidence in the least, but Ryan Tannehill has actually shown us that he can be an effective quarterback. Um, in 2014 and 2015, he threw for over 4,000 yards. Uh, his interception um, percentage those two seasons was two. And his touchdown percentage um, basically has stayed around that 4% range, and last season was actually 6%. Dolphins sent Tannehill in a sixth-round pick in 2019 for a 2024th-round pick and a 2019 seventh-round pick. So not a lot was sent, but there was still draft capital uh sent to Miami for Tannehill. So if Marcus Mariota proves to be ineffective in the, in the preseason in, in training camp 
and Tannehill proves to be relatively effective, you will see, I, and I, I definitely could see this happening, that Tannehill takes over the starting QB job for Marcus Mariota. Yeah, it's, you know, Stompy, it's interesting. I've, I've, I think I've been, I've been pounding the drum that Mariota just isn't very good. And we did learn today, like you had stated, that he was playing a little bit more hurt than, than what we thought. You know, he was, he was definitely uh, suffering some more injuries. But whatever the case is, he just hasn't been effective when he's been in the lineup. And so, you know, that, that kind of being said, it, it is an interesting, you know, idea that maybe he doesn't start the season as, as that quarterback. And furthermore, I feel like Tennessee as a team took a step forward as a rushing team, as a team that can run the ball, you know, grind out those yards with Derrick Henry um, and, you know, can play, can play tough defense or defense improved over the course of the year last year. And it just seems like, a safe quarterback, a guy who isn't going to throw the ball downfield, um, like Tannenhill might just fit a little bit better. You know, he's he's on this team. He's just a conservative type of passer, somebody that can, you know, can hit a quick slam for five, six yards, you know, something just to move the ball, just to keep defenses honest, you know, while, while still, you know, maybe working off a of play action every now and then to get him, you know, a couple of shots down the field per game, but nothing, you know, crazy. And I, I feel like that's the kind of offense that Tennessee can run that might be successful. And so if you think about it in those terms, maybe Mariota isn't the best fit for this team. Uh, and like you said, you know, with his interception rate rising last season, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a concern. Maybe they want a guy who could just take care of the ball, a game manager type and Ryan Tannehill fits that. So there's definitely precedent here. I don't think that that happens. I think Mariota gets one full season to, to prove himself this, this next year. Uh, but it, there's definitely, it, it got me thinking when you brought it up, it got me thinking that maybe this is possible. So, um, that's my take on it. I don't think I think you're you're a little nuts, but I don't think you're totally nuts. What do you think, John? I think uh, okay. I was on board with this at, at first, and I did not see that coming. So it, it the it seems like the real argument, at least the initial argument, was that Marcus Mariota isn't. You know, it, it's not for certain that he's going to be fully healthy by the start of the season. And it may take significantly longer than that, in fact, um, for him to get fully healthy. So, you know, that I, I'm that's still it it's still a little far fetched to think that he that they don't start him because of health. But you know, I, I that one that one's somewhat plausible to me. But oh here's my issue though. Both of you guys took this down a totally different road and turned it into Marcus Mariota getting beat out by Ryan Tannehill. That is nuts. You both are insanely nuts on that one. There's no way that happens. Even at 75% health, Marcus Mariota is, let's be clear, Marcus Mariota is by far the better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. Based on what? Based, uh, based on the fact that he's been there. Based on he's been where what he's been where he's, he's been at, he's been in Tennessee he's been in that system for for over a year now he's been throwing to those wide receivers and those and those tight ends he's been working behind that offensive line 
He's also he's also just been on the field more consistently. He's been a more efficient passer throughout most of his career than well, Ryan that's, that's, that's actually wrong. Yeah. Not not only is that wrong, but also, I mean, Ryan Tannehill has stoned for 4,000 yards in a season. As a matter of fact, he's had over 3,900 yards three out of six seasons in Miami. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you look at the stats for Tannehill, you you might be shocked at kind of how decent he was there in Miami. Because um, when I did that, I it, it actually kind of took me back as to, you know, I was taken back a little bit by – by his statistics, his touchdown percentage, his interception percentage. I mean, in six years, his interception percentage um, averages out to two point six. And we just we just heard that uh, uh, that Mariota's was over three this last year, um, and his touchdown percentage was four point two. Which I mean, Mariota's was what two point eight? You said Stompy. So um, I mean, Tannehill's career stats actually measure up very favorably um, to Mariota's. Well, okay, that may be true, but there's a reason that Ryan Tannehill was available in a trade and for a relatively low cost. Mind you, mind you, nobody is saying Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback. But you're saying he's better than Marcus Mariota. Yes. That he's going to beat out Marcus Mariota for the starting job. Uh, That's what I wrote, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're nuts. You're nuts. Okay, yeah. It, again, if you want to say that there's a chance that Marcus Mariota isn't healthy, isn't fully healthy, and therefore they choose to keep him on the bench, maybe even start him off on the pup list, or uh, you know, or, or short term IR, something like that. That's that's all fine. But the the idea that Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill are both on the same practice field, and Ryan Tannehill beats out Marcus Mariota, is crazy. And again, I mean, I go back to the simple fact that Ryan Tannehill couldn't win a starting job in Miami, much less, how's he going to come in and beat out Marcus, Marcus Mariota in Tennessee when Mariota is the incumbent and his has the experience not only in that offense, but with that particular group of players. I don't, I don't see how that one happens, but anyways, that's, that's the whole point of this is for me to call you nuts. And uh, (laughs) I showed you, I showed you my nuts, John. Uh, You showed me, you are, you showed me your nuts. That's for sure. All right, James, show us your nuts. I'm going to show you my nuts. (laughs) <laughs> I am going to say that the Los Angeles Chargers will draft a quarterback in the first two rounds of this year's NFL draft. And when I look at this, here's why. I, they signed Tyrod Taylor to be their backup. They really didn't have a very good backup, a capable backup to Phillip Rivers. And I like the Tyrod Taylor signing, but it's not a long-term solution for the Chargers. And the Chargers have to do something to endear themselves to that fan base. They were treated as the redheaded stepchild in, in LA. I mean, they just were that the Rams were kind of considered, you know, the A team. And I don't even know if the Chargers were considered the B team. I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of home support of, of home field advantage either uh, during their games in LA. And I know it's going to take time, but I think by grabbing a quarterback, you can actually change that narrative. So that way you kind of have a plan for when Phillip Rivers, you know, retires. And we hear all this talk about, 
you know, what, what's going to happen when Drew Brees goes, what's going to happen when, you know, Ben Roethlisberger goes, Tom Brady, you know, uh, the list goes on and on for some of these aging veterans that we hear, but we don't hear as much about Philip Rivers. Well, it was, it was reported today. Philip Rivers had his ninth child. His ninth child was born. Philip Rivers has nine children and it's gotta be to the point where he starts looking at retirement. Let's not forget. It was also reported that he was, uh, he really didn't want to play in LA. He wanted to stay in San Diego. Obviously the team had different ideas. They went to LA and I don't know how that went the first year. I mean, success wise, they were a successful organization. I just don't know with that home field advantage being what it was uh, or, you know, what it lacked uh, in being that, you know, that was very endearing to some of the players, especially a guy like Rivers. So I don't know how much longer the uh, that the Chargers have with Phillip Rivers. I think that they would be uh, they'd be best served by addressing this position sooner rather than later. I think now's the time that you get that quarterback in the first or second round. They have the 28th and 60th pick in the first two rounds. Um, you know, if at 28 there's a guy sitting there that they like, it wouldn't shock me. We're starting to hear rumors about guys like Will Greer climb up into the end of that first round. Um, and even if not, at the end of the second round, there's going to be some guys there that they might find intriguing. And the best part about it is the guys in this class, while they're capable, in my opinion, they could use that year or two to sit and to learn behind a guy like Philip Rivers. I think the Chargers have an excellent opportunity to grab a quarterback that could benefit from sitting and from learning from a guy like Philip Rivers and would be ready in a year or two to start and to uh, to be the starter for this organization. It would also, like I said, get people talking about this organization in the LA area. So tell me guys, tell me, am I nuts that the Chargers are going to spend one of their top two picks on a quarterback this year? No, not really. I also, by the way, just total aside, but I love the way that we've just totally disregarded the apostrophe in your, but Anyways, uh, no, nah, you're not, you're not that nuts on that one. I don't think I. There's also not a lot for the Chargers to to really address at this point. I mean, that's a, that's a that's a pretty solid roster, top to bottom, to a point where quarterback is starting to become the weak link. You know, as you start to plan for the future, you know, beyond Philip Rivers. I mean, I. I, I think that they're fine with Tyrod Taylor in the short term, but yeah, I, I kind of have a feeling that uh, that they start to look more long term. I think it's more likely to happen in the second round than the first, but I also think that this is the class to to take a guy in this in the second round. You know, I think that's uh, I think this is a year where you know the guys like Daniel Jones and, and Will Greer could definitely fall to the second rounds. Um, and maybe even beyond. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm fully on board with that. Nope. Nuts. He's nuts. Yep. yep he's nuts. <laughs> nice. Listen, I mean, how old is Philip Rivers? Philip Rivers is like 35 so years old. old. So old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably 35, 36. Philip Rivers is, well, he's 37. Wow. This is older than I thought. Regardless, regardless, guys are lasting into their 40s. Rivers hasn't really had an injury. I mean, he actually hasn't had an injury history in his entire career, basically. I mean, he played that one year with his with the ACL, with the torn ACL, but he's not a mobile quarterback anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, he's had two of his most effective seasons in a decade, the last two seasons. We're seeing guys last into their 40s, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, um, 
I don't know when Peyton Manning retired or what age he retired, but I mean, he was still up there. 38. And Rivers doesn't, he has an old man game, if you will. He's a pocket passer. He doesn't take hits. Um, he doesn't get, get sacked all that often. And so he's got a good two to three seasons. And I just don't think that the Chargers, especially with this class where you have arguably three starters, starting QBs in this class, or at least potential, because I don't think Drew Locke is a starter right away. Whereas next season, now you're looking at four, five, six quarterbacks that could be potential starters. Now, I I can see them drafting a QB next season, just not this season, especially with Tarad in that backup role. <laughs> Plus, they do need help on defense, especially along that line, and or I guess just in that front seven as a whole. All right, fine. Some big deal, Stompy. You didn't have to, didn't have to be so mean about it. Uh, just I'm kidding. a mean I, person. I'm nuts. <laughs> I'm absolutely nuts, but I can't wait to tell John he's nuts. So, John, what do you got for me? All right. All right. So, by the by opening day, Carlos Hyde's going to be the starting running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's just a superior back to Damian Williams. That's all there is to it. This isn't a this isn't a position, by the way, where you need to have where you need to spend a year in the system to learn it. You can walk in, any running back can walk in and and run the playbook. They and learn the playbook. They, they because their playbook is pretty much run where I tell you to run. I mean, it's it's such a it, it's by far the easiest position to learn in the NFL. So, but Carlos Hyde is just a far superior player. Damian Williams, as great as he looked in 2018 towards the end of the season, I mean, it's on a 95.8% catch rate. It was on uh, seven yards per reception and uh, 5.1 yards per carry. And, And all of those numbers brought his career averages through the freaking roof. He was nowhere near that before. Carlos Hyde, on the other hand, it is a career, uh, where's it? A career four yards per carry, a career five point six yards per reception, uh, four point two yards per touch, right? and that you know that's over the course of three, four, five five seasons, six six seasons, or five seasons, yeah, um, all together, and that's with limited work in both Cleveland and Jacksonville, so. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's been the feature back, particularly in San Francisco early in the season in, in Cleveland, he was there. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, that, that was Nick Chubb's job. Um, that just, that entire offense needed a shakeup. It needed Baker Mayfield. It needed Nick Chubb. And, uh, there was just no room for Carlos Hyde or for Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod, sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, beyond that, I mean, Carlos Hyde has just been, he was a feature back in San Francisco. He's been a top 12 running back 
in San Francisco. He's got he just he's got the pedigree. He's 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 just a more polished runner. I mean, what else can I tell you? He's he's the better player. And that's going to show out throughout the preseason and it's going to end with him taking over the starting job. I hate it so much. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Listen. Why? Because how nuts am I? You also that's the other thing, newbie. You gotta start by saying You want me to yell at you? You're nuts. Thank you. I can see your nuts. They're on the table. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) I just walked in into the middle of a of a huge room, a huge, huge, huge dining hall, huge banquet hall. One of those big, like 18th century hardwood finished tables with a giant chandelier over it. And I just plopped them down right in the middle. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. So dipped them in your tea first. First and foremost, Damian Williams is far better as a receiver. Far better as a receiver. Yeah. You have basically one season from Carlos Hyde where he was a better or a good receiver. Um, and that was in 2016. Mm-hmm. 2017 was purely based on volume. Mm-hmm. But Damian Williams has much higher yard per reception mm-hmm. in his career. He's also again, got – Again, brought way up by by what he did at the end of 2018. Uh, oh, really? That brought all of his averages oh, way up. Oh, really? Yes. You want to try that again, friend? <laughs> Let's do why. Tell me then. Tell me where what was it before that? What was how how good he, was that, he in that Miami? That was actually last was season was actually hit the second lowest of his career in yards per reception. Per reception? Yep. Highest was in 2016 in Miami at 10.8 yards per reception. How many receptions is that? Uh 23 out of 32. Okay. In 2018, he had 23 out of 24. Mm-hmm. So he had 24 in in what uh, what five games? Well, 20, I, uh, at the yeah, end of I 2018, mean, I would have to look at the game logs. Yeah, um, I'm saying we need to do okay. Anyways, that's, yeah, I mean, that's fine. But neither of us have it pulled up, so it's so it's fine. So but, he's a better he's he's a better pass catcher. He has the same yards per carry as Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde, all he's he still hasn't broken a thousand yards on any given season. Mm-hmm. So to is, say is that Damian Williams, no, but Damian Williams hasn't been given the I mean the most carries Damian Williams has ever had in a season is fifty. Is there not a reason for that? I mean, I'm sure there is, but I'm gonna just lean, lean, and say, lean on uh, the Adam Gase excuse. Mm, okay. Um, but my argument is more that Carlos Hyde is far better, the far more superior talent, which is absolutely not the case according to numbers. So. Mm. Okay. Damian Williams, and I'm going to use this argument. Damian Williams has already been in this system for a year. 
I'm going to use this argument against you now. Yeah, I don't care about that with running. He's a better pass catcher in a in a throwing offense. I would I would rather have the guy the established guy already. Yeah, who is a better pass catcher? Yeah, I don't care about that when it comes to running backs. Uh, pass catcher, sure, maybe, maybe. I don't know that, and that's the part that I'm saying. When it plays out, when you when you put the two next to each other, is is that going to play out? Maybe, but I'm saying no. I'm saying I don't think so. I think that what Carlos Hyde does all around, you know, is is going to lead to him getting on the field more. But and you're I wrong. Think, you're wrong, though. Well, I, just sh- I just told you why you were wrong. <laughs> just because he's a better pass catcher, and I don't, and even, he's an equivalent runner. I don't an equivalent runner. I, I mean, if you're going to use yards per attempt, uh, okay. okay. Let's, All right, let's, I'll, let's, I'll, let's I'll, put I'll step in here right quick because okay. John, you're you're absolutely right. You're not nuts at all. Whoa. For, first of all, first of all, Damian Williams has. I, He's never eclipsed his highest carry total has been 50 in a season mm-hmm. 50. He has not proven that he can do it over the course of a full year. Um, so his, uh, you know, when you look at yards per attempt, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty diluted when, when you're looking at, you know, the, the amount of carries he's had. Carlos Hyde has proven that he can do that. As far as receiving goes, both these guys are excellent receiving backs out of the backfield. If you look at their catch percentage, they're both very high for running backs. I mean, uh, Carlos Hyde, 75, 73.3, 81.8, 67%, 62.5, 66.7. I mean, his catch percent is is over average for a running back for sure. Um, so he, he's an excellent receiving back, and so is Damian Williams. So, I, I you know, you can make a point that Damian Williams might be slightly better at receiving, but it, even that would be very negligible in my opinion. Also, I mean, like I said, Carlos Hyde has proven that he can do that. He can be that guy who takes on over 200 carries, you know, in, in a season. And it, it really that Damian Williams hasn't. And there's got to be a reason for that. I mean, in Miami, it's not like there was guys in front of him on the depth chart that just kept him off the field. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of talent there. We saw guys like Frank Gore have success there. Like like Russ actually pointed out last week, like our uh, our – uh, our guest Dynasty Outhouse pointed out, you know, there were guys like Frank Gore. There were other guys that were able to have success in Miami while Damian Williams just sat on the bench and did very little. Um, but yeah, to me, I mean, again, in his career, Damian Williams has 183 career rushing attempts. Um, Carlos Hyde had over that two seasons, uh, actually three seasons, four seasons. <laughs> he's had over that. Uh, the only season he didn't eclipse that was his rookie year. So I think with what's been proven, I mean, Carlos Hyde, you just know what you're getting with him. I think he's, as far as receiving goes, I think they're they're very, very close, if not equal. And I think as far as a running back goes, he's proven what he can do with a full workload. I don't know that Damian Williams can hold up to that. The only thing I will say, John, the only reason why I'll say you might be just a little bit nuts is because I expect Kansas City to draft someone. I just don't know where in the draft they would do so. Um, I, I, I really, I think it's going to be a telling draft for Kansas City. They have all sorts of holes on defense, but I, it almost seems like they're punting the defensive side of the ball, like Stompy said last week uh, <laughs> on our podcast. It seems like they're punting that side, and if that's the case, then they may grab a running back earlier than we suspect. And that would be my only my only concern with Carl Side taking over the running back duties. So, how many guys out there 
are going to be available in the draft that you think would be good enough to start day one? In Kansas City, I think that's there's got to be some context there because in Kansas City, I could see, you know, a lot of just one cut running backs that would that would be okay there, um, just because, you know, I I don't I don't see a lot of loaded boxes with that offense with Pat Mahomes and everything, um, so I could see a, a, a few running backs that could really um, push Carl aside or push Damian Williams for for time, um, if if they were drafted. But I mean, it, it is a weak running back class. Um, but I mean, I, I think there are probably four or five guys that I think would be very intriguing if they wound up in Kansas city. Huh? We might have to get in. I I mean, we'll get into, into the rookies quite a bit more in the next, in the next few weeks leading up to the draft. But that's one that we need to talk about because here's what I do think either way with this running back situation is that you, you, man, you really kind of need at least two, if not all three of the guys, assuming they draft a rookie you're because here's what's, what's going to happen. So let's say hypothetically that I'm wrong. Damian Williams holds on to that job. He's not going to keep the job all season. He's definitely not. I mean, first of all, he would have to stay healthy. And second of all, he would have to outplay Carlos Hyde every single week. He's not, he, he's not a big enough name. He doesn't have enough capital behind him to to just keep that job forever. He's got to continue to perform. And like I said, so he has to keep outplaying Carlos Hyde. Otherwise, Carlos Hyde takes over that job. And I think that either way, like regardless of, you know, so if, if Damian Williams starts the season as the starter, I think at some point Carlos Hyde takes over. And then I think that at some point, Carlos Hyde probably deals with injuries. Not saying he's injury prone. I'm just saying he's a running back. And at some point, I think that he gives way to whatever rookie they bring in. So, you know, it's the, it seems like a really frustrating situation for a fan, for a fantasy player. And it does suck that you kind of have to, you know, you kind of have to wait on one or two guys to get their opportunity. But really, this is the ideal scenario to me, to be able to to transition from one running back to the other. Anytime you can do that. If you had Carlos Hyde last year and then Nick Chubb, you went from Hyde to Chubb. I mean, you obviously Hyde didn't do a lot for you early in the season, but you know, that that's kind of the approach that you want. You want to be able to to transition to your next running back, whoever that's going to be, whether on this, they're on the same roster or not. It just, it makes things so much easier when they are on the same NFL roster, but we can get to part two here. And we're going to talk now about what's going to happen during the 2019 season. We want some bold predictions on this. So stop, show us your nuts. All right. So for 2019, and I've been writing this wagon all off season and i'm doubling down and i'm digging a hole on my hill and i'm building a bunker (laughs) nice lamar jackson will finish as a top 10 quarterback i love it i i do and and here's the thing i think you're a little nuts just because i top 10 i think is man that's really high but uh, man i i want it to happen so bad and it sounds bad because as a browns fan it, it, it's difficult for me to to give praise to a Baltimore Raven, any Baltimore Raven. But 
Lamar Jackson is he's kind of he's he's fun to watch. He's fun to root for, you know, because the way he came into the league and he was such a a, a kind of a transparent or a, a you know such a uh, uh, a polarizing you know prospect when he came in. And to see him have the success that he had when he did start, it was fun. You know, he really did a lot with his legs. He was able to do with with his arm when he was given the chance. And I just want to see more. I want to see him grow. And I would I would love to see him finish as a top ten quarterback. As much as that pains me to say, I would just I would like that. So I'm I'm rooting for it. I think I don't know if I could go top ten, but uh, I I think he I think he could with the right year finish top twelve. Um, and I think that's pretty close to top 10 anyway. So I, I would think, man, you know, I, I, I want it to happen so bad, but I think he probably falls a little short, best case scenario. But so I think you're a little nuts, Stompy, but it's not totally crazy. I, I, I certainly like it, and I'm going to be rooting for it, which is going to be hard, you know, two times a year at least. But I'm, I'm definitely going to be cheering for it. That's exactly where I'm at with it. Yeah, it's I, – I don't – I don't hate it. I actually kind of like the idea of it. It just, that feels a little ambitious. Top, top 10 just feels a little too much. So, um, I, so I am kind of curious which, like who gets bumped out of the top 10 for you that, that makes way. So obviously Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, those guys all finish ahead of you. You know, you could make an argument that Russ actually does not finish as a QB one next season. Uh, and maybe I should have put that down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, you were breaking my heart with that one. No, 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 I get it. I get it. But his, his fantasy points per game last season was 16th in the league. Yeah. And really the only reason that he finished Top, um, well, now I have to look again. Top Can't even find him. Top 10. He, he only finished 10th. And the only reason oh, was because okay. his touchdown percentage was so high. He was so efficient last season. Yeah. And it, Tyler and they Lockett had, scored every time he touched right, the ball. And they had far and away the fewest um, passing attempts in the league. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't look like it's going anywhere. I mean, it's Brian Schottenheimer. We know who he is. Um, so, uh, honestly, you could make an argument there that he doesn't finish as a QB1. So there's one bump. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, if the Doug Baldwin thing continues to linger, which – just today, the news broke that he's going to undergo sports hernia surgery. But they, but they brought in Jordy Nelson, Kay. So <laughs> they're <Well>. fine. <laughs> but they get, they get Will Disley back, though. I, yeah. I'm, I, that one's not tongue in cheek. I'm legitimately excited no, 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 about I, that one. I agree. Um, the other one that you, you could make an argument, I suppose, mm-hmm. is Ben Roethlisberger losing Antonio Brown, losing Jesse James. You're basically you, – you have a second-year starter or a second-year wide receiver probably starting on the outside there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see them reducing the amount of attempts. I don't see them reducing them enough to uh, drop him out of the top ten. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and, and one more that I'm looking at, Drew Brees. 
That Ooh. seems like blasphemy. I get it. You think but, Drew Brees falls outside the, the top, top 10, huh? Top 10. So he was QB8 last season. Mm-hmm. He only threw the ball 489 times, which was f- the fewest, the second fewest among the top 10. Um, he was 10th in points per game. And we, we see the general trend of the New Orleans Saints and, and them wanting to run the ball. And it seems like they're going to keep it that way with bringing in Latavius Murray to play that Mark Ingram rule. Now, he, I don't think he'll be as effective, but I still think that they will have the general uh, pass-to-run ratio that they have the last two seasons. So if you see the efficiency of Drew Brees, which is r- relatively unlikely, I suppose, fall, then you could definitely see him drop out of the top 10. But hmm. I don't I don't like the argument that it's dropping out of the top 10 as much as Lamar Jackson jumping into the top 10. And the reason I say that is we're looking at, like, last season, we're looking at guys that finished outside the top 10, the top 12, that would have had top or QB1 numbers, QB or top 10 numbers the, the previous season. And it's just because... For some reason, like scoring jumped, passing jumped. I mean, Philip Rivers finishes QB 13 with 4,300 yards, 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. That's crazy to me. Like that's, that's a QB one um, season. That's probably like close to top five season. Most seasons that we've seen recently until this season. Yeah, I mean, Cam Newton had almost 3,400 yards, 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, but he had 488 yards on the ground of four touchdowns. That's generally top 10. He only finishes a QB 14. Now, so, Sophie, let me ask you, uh, this is the vital question. Everyone is wondering, especially on Twitter, Okay, will Lamar Jackson outscore Baker Mayfield? Yes. Nice. I love that. Wow. Okay. Now here, here, let me, let me make this argument though. So Lamar Jackson averaged when he started, he averaged 79 yards on the ground, which would have been, and yes, I know the argument. You can't make the argument about projecting out because regression and stuff, but I'm still going to make the argument. If he had continued that trend, that would have been 1200 yards on the ground, which would have broken Michael Vick's record by a ton. I don't think he will maintain that, but I still think he can maintain a 50 yard per game average, which puts you at like 800 over 800. We'll just say over 800 yards rushing, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, that's 80 points right there. And then just add a few touchdowns and you're breaking a hundred points basically on the ground. Now I personally think he's good enough passer to surpass 3,500 yards throwing. But even if he only does like, let's say 3,200 yards, that's 200 yards a game, which is not a lot. So if he can break 3,000 yards throwing 800 yards uh, on the ground, then I, and and dependent on total, but let's just say 20 or 25 to 30 total touchdowns. I think that's a top 10 season right there. Mind you, he is the, he's the only 
quarterback in college history to throw for 3,000 yards and run for 1,000 yards in back-to-back seasons. So we've seen him do it. Yes, it was in college, but that's the type of athlete he is. That's the number I'm going to take issue with, though, by the way, is the touchdowns. I, I 25 to 30 feels pretty ambitious. That that I, I'm thinking that we're looking at more like in the neighborhood of 20 all-purpose touchdowns. All-purpose. So I'm yeah. I'm saying he can yeah. throw for tw- over 20 touchdowns and run in at least five. Yeah. And so, and honestly, honestly, what I project, and, and this is just – it's not based on anything, mm-hmm. but what I think is feasible and what I think he will approach is 4,000 all-purpose yards and 25-plus touchdowns. Hmm. So I could I could see that. Um uh, I, I I don't I wouldn't project that for him. Like I said, I'm I'm looking more at like 20. And it feels I a big part of it is who's he throwing to, you know? There's like there's tight ends, there's Willie Sneed, there's probably gonna be a rookie. I but I, I don't think that there's anything there that that you really have to worry about. You know, in in the passing game, I don't think that he has the weapons that make defensive coordinators sweat. So from there, what you do is you load the box against the run, which also, you know, is going to limit his ability to run somewhat. And see, but now, but now you're just now you're just dismissing all of the pass catchers. Like they have, <laughs> they have four. It's hold so on, hold they, on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something. The pass catchers. I am going to say something funny <laughs> I didn't here. Do it. They. Did. I'm going to say something funny here. Oh, that. And then I'm going to be serious. Okay. They have four legitimate tight ends. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. Okay. But but that, but at the very least, they have. Um, Hayden Hurst and they have Mark, Mark Andrews, Andrews, yeah, who are very good tight ends. Um, were very good pass catching tight ends in college. Mm-hmm. Willie Sneed, yes, I understand he's not something that a lot of that that defensive coordinators uh, shiver at, but he's still a very good pass catcher. We saw him, and yes, he was with Drew Brees, but we saw him be successful in 2016. He's also a slot receiver. So we're right. still we're still working on a pretty short field here. Oh, and that's fine. And that's fine. I well, I, but I it, think but it's, it's more about what the scheme is. Like if it's well, and, and that's it, and what it that, should be is run pass option. If it's RPO, which is what they that he will be good in. Mm-hmm. And he can do short dump downs and they have to have a spy on him all the time and they're going to leave the middle of the field open. He yeah. will be a fine as a pass passer, but and you, they will bring but in. Have to, they will have bring to in wide receivers. Field, That's fine. To, they will bring in wide receivers. This is okay, a but, receiver heavy class. They can bring in guys like, as much as I hate this DK Metcalf, they can bring in guys like Nikhil Harry that can stretch the field. Mm-hmm. Like right now, yes, they don't have the weapons. I agree, but mm-hmm. they will have them by the end of the draft. Yeah, but even then, I a, a rookie wide receiver. I mean, you, right. especially with some of the some you're, of the you're saying things like you they don't have the pass catcher. You still can't leave these guys just wide open. It's not well, like you can't you can't leave them wide open, but you can you can put one 
you can put one guy on them, especially if you jam them at the line, and you're going to take a rookie wide receiver out of a lot of games by doing that. That's fine, but he also has legs. Like I'm, I'm just saying that. I, and I'm not saying he's going to be this prolific passer. I'm just saying he's going to be a playmaker. Mm-hmm. So when I say fourth, and, and mind you, that we're talking about fantasy football. So when I say 4,000 all-purpose yards, it's not that great in terms of a quarterback. But in terms of fantasy points, if he can put up 800-plus yards on the ground, plus let's let's just say a handful of touchdowns and breaks 100 points that way, that puts him right in contention for top 10. Yeah, I, I know better than argue with Stompy on second year quarterbacks. So I'm, I'm <laughs> well, that's 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 true though. That's where he found Pat Mahomes, and he might have. This might be another one. So I, I I will say on this, this is something that I've been kind of giving Stompy the benefit of the doubt. I don't. I, I personally don't see how it works out. But I mean, I'm I'm gonna defer to you on this one at least while we continue to the discussion throughout the off season. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, it, as we kind of work through the, the evidence a little bit until then, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, defer to you on that one, but yeah, let's get to the next one. So James, show us your nuts. Oh, I'm about to Sony. Michelle will finish this season as a top five fantasy running back. And, Here's, here's basically where I'm at with this. Sony Michelle's numbers last year, in 13 games played, he carried the ball 209 times. He had 931 rushing yards and six touchdowns, which is a nice rookie year, but it doesn't scream that he's going to be a top five fantasy asset. And the worst part is, is he's not really involved in the receiving game. He only had seven receptions for 50 yards. So, I, I mean, he didn't – it's not that he can't catch – uh, I, I, I would argue that point because he showed on film that he can catch the ball uh, when he was at Georgia, but uh, they have other pass catching backs there. I mean, Rex Burkhead, you know, and James White are guys in New England that are going to be better utilized to to, to fill those roles. So when you hear that, you, you kind of worry that, you know, maybe Sony Michelle's upside isn't what it should be. But I think when you look into the context a little bit more, you see that the New England Patriots started trusting Sony Michelle later in the season, and that really showed. And let's not forget, while Garrett Blunt was a running back in this system, this guy had double-digit touchdown year after year after year and was a top fantasy asset because of that. So when you look at Sony Michelle and the trust that New England started putting in him, we look to the playoffs. And in the playoffs, in three games, Sony Michelle averaged just under 24 carries a game. 112 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns a game. And and that was obviously in three games. And how did that work out for New England? I mean, they ended up celebrating a championship and winning another Super Bowl trophy. To me, the writing is on the wall. New England has realized that their best bet uh, moving forward, and and really, it it just kind of goes to what Bill Belichick has done. When others zig, he zags. He's always ahead of the curve. And it seems like the NFL right now is is grabbing these lighter – um, edge rusher type guys, these guys that can get to the can get to the quarterback, can disrupt the the you know the the quarterback and the play timing and that sort of thing. They're not they, there's not a lot of bigger guys who can shed blocks and are there to stop the run. And New England just seems like they're always ahead of that curve when they're doing one thing. Somebody you know everyone uh, the the rest of the league is doing something else, and when the rest of the league catches up, New England switches up on them. So. To me, that's that's kind of where it's at. Is I'm looking at New England. I'm looking at what they're doing and what they did moving forward last year. It seemed like they trusted Sony Michelle more. They realized that they had to rely on the running game more. They just 
don't have the weapons in the passing game right now to just lean on that passing game like they had in previous years. I think Sony Michelle is in for a boom of a season. I think now that he has earned the trust of Belichick and the rest of the New England Patriots, especially in the red zone, this guy is going to get double-digit touchdowns, and I can see him breaking 12 to 1,300 rushing yards this year too given the opportunity that he's going to get. Again, 24 carries a game in the three uh, playoff games that we saw. To me, again, just uh, just shows how much New England is is relying on him and how much they've come around on him and they're ready to utilize him as the bell cow back. So I, I know I'm getting backlash for this one. So, all right, guys, tell me. Tell me I'm nuts. No, I don't think so, actually. <laughs> yeah, this is this, – this one actually feels a little ch- – uh, well – all right, top five is a little ambitious. Uh, I I can I can easily identify five running backs who I think will finish ahead of Sony Michelle, but um, just the way that offense is going to have to run through him a little bit, I I'm mostly on board with this. What do you think, Stone? Ouch, my knee. <laughs> oh, there's that too. <laughs> um, so I I think. That has to be taken into consideration here that he's coming into, I mean, he came into his career with knee issues, dealt with knee issues last season. And I mean, we'll see what happens this season. I mean, health, I'm going to say something and I'm going to hate myself for it because it's agreeing with John, but health is always an issue with running backs. (laughs) Uh, yeah, just don't call them injury prone though, because yes. we can't do that. Nope. Yeah, that's true. Injury prone is not a thing, but running but, backs are a little injury prone. <laughs> okay. If anyone's injury prone, it's every running back. Yeah. All right. That's, a, that's <laughs> enough from you. <laughs> I'm having fun with this one now. Um, but I think there's a little bit more concern with Sony Michelle just because of the knees or the knee. He isn't. A, I mean, he was effective down the stretch. I there's no doubt about it. But when you look at the top five finishers last season and six of the top seven last season, they received 81 or more targets, four of which had uh, over a hundred targets. One of which, and and then. Uh, five of which had 95 or more targets. So he will have to put up those LeGarrette blunt type touchdown numbers to even approach top five in my eyes, just because the pass catching running backs, the, the three down backs are the ones that are finishing top five. I mean, we have Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey, Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, all of them had 81 or more targets. And Todd Gurley had the lowest, which is kind of insane to say, but he had 81 and 14 games. So he was on pace for, we'll say 90 plus. And the way the Patriots offense works is through James White, who finished as the RB seven, mind you, this past season, which won't happen again. But James White is the pass catching back there. And while I do think that Sony Michelle will get more targets, he he will cede a lot of third downs to or secede a lot of third downs to James White. 
So he isn't necessarily that prototypical third down back. And the only one that of the top five that finished this last season, um, injury or, or, or health pending is Todd Gurley just because of the arthritis in the knee. And I think that they're going to monitor his workload. So it's going to be tough. Top 10, sure. I think that's very feasible. Top five is just really difficult for me because they, the Patriots probably will not give him the required targets to get up there. And unless he gets like 20 plus touchdowns, I just don't see it. Yeah. yeah and that, I, I, I get it. That's going to be a bugaboo is, you know, his, his targets have to go up. And I, I, I guess I just, here's my thing. If he is, if he's going to be the back that he was in the playoffs where he's going to be on the field to get 24 to 25 carries, I think his targets are going to eventually have to go up because Brady's going to audible and he's going to dump down. And I think his targets will have to go up, but you're right. I mean, they're probably not going to go up to the point where they're, you know, in the seventies or eighties, you know, I mean, you got to hope for fifties, you know, at best case scenario. And even that's a jump. Uh, but I mean, again, in, in 10 games started and 16 games played, you know, if we use the, the playoffs as well, you know, he had 12 rushing touchdowns. So I, I think the upside is there for the touchdowns. It, it just kind of has been in new England. When you just look at new England running backs, it looks like there's always that guy. Who's that, that red zone guy, that guy who they, they rely on in the red zone and they don't go away from him. And if Sony Michelle is that guy, I think he still has that upside potential without the elite receiving numbers, but Obviously, that's going to be the uphill battle with him. So, no, I think you're absolutely right with that, Stompy. That's going to be the bugaboo with him is can he improve the his, his target share and how much so, um, and will it be enough to, to get him there? I, I believe it can be, so that's why I'm saying this, but uh, I know that uh, I'm probably nuts. All right, I've got a couple for you guys, all in, all, all in one quick statement here. So. Barring health, take health out of the equation. But Josh Rosen, assuming health, Josh Rosen starts more games than Jameis Winston in 2019. So, yeah, again, kind of two bold statements, one on each guy here. So, first of all, the idea that Arizona stays put and drafts Kyler Murray with the first overall pick, I don't buy it. I think Josh Rosen is the guy in Arizona. And I think that in, even if they did dra- draft Kyler Murray, I think that Josh Rosen ultimately wins that job, at least for the year. And I think that he starts the entire 2019 season. On the other side of this, Jameis Winston, I, I don't believe that Bruce Arians is going to be is, is going to be okay with Jameis Winston as his starting quarterback. I think there are too many issues there with things like, you know, the the ability to uh, the ability to consume a playbook, the ability to to you know remember plays, especially when you have to run the two down or the 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 two minute drill. I I think that there's you know some of the some of the off field stuff, some of the the just it just I, I I think that there's a little too much going on mentally. And I don't think that Bruce Arians is is going to feel comfortable here. I think that there's a short leash leash on Jameis Winston, and I think I actually think that Bruce Arians was brought in because he's a big enough name with a big enough uh, with big enough cachet that he can 
bench Jameis Winston, the first overall pick a few years ago. He can bench that guy and allow them to move on from him next year. I might even go as far to say as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft a quarterback in here in 2019. I'm not totally convinced of that one. I think that they might push it off to 2020, but I don't think that Jameis Winston is going to be, is the long-term answer for them at quarterback. I think Bruce Arians is going to find that out very fast if he hasn't already. And I think that at some point this season, he's Jameis Winston gets benched and they begin the process of moving on from him. Yeah, this is tough for me um, because I am just vehemently or I guess adamant that the Cardinals will not pick Kyler Murray Mm because I think it would be one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a front office do. Nah. But then again, but then again, if you bring in competition, that's fine. Yeah. The the James Winston thing for me is I don't so is there any concern that Bruce Arians came out and said, Oh, this is our guy. He's our guy. Oh, the old vote of confidence? No, yeah. no. Okay. Yeah, that's that's coach speak. That does All nothing right. for me. Well, so the other end of it is I think he's good enough for them this year. And while while it may be true that they do move on from him in the future, I just they have so many issues on the defensive side of the ball that they just they need to go be best player available. And um, which I, obviously this is I know we pay attention to the offside off offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side of the ball in this draft is very strong. But um, so. I mean, I I see it as the most likely available quarterback is Dwayne Haskins. I just don't think that's the answer to the to the problems. Um, so I view it as we'll we'll punt and and maybe they don't even need to punt because, like I said, I think Jameis is good enough for what Arians needs to do. That defense is just so bad that the it's likely we're going to punt a season get the best player available on the defensive side of the ball. And then we'll go after a quarterback next season. If that is the case. I don't think this is nuts at all. Um, honestly, I kind of think that this is, uh, this is the norm. I, I agree with both of you that I don't think Kyler Murray goes to Arizona. I don't think that they take him um, to me. It just, I, I think it's all a smoke screen. You have to drive up value for that pick and they're doing it by, you know, fainting interest in a player that people would want to trade up for. So I, I don't I don't buy that they're in the market for him at all. Uh, so you know that's that's the first part for me is I think Josh Rosen starts Week One in Arizona without much competition. And the second part for me is that Jameis Winston is just he's a mess, dude. That I mean, and here's the interesting thing to me is that I don't know when when you look at the numbers, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota are pretty much tied at the hip because they were the top two quarterback prospects in the same draft class, and. When you look at them, they're very similar. As but for some reason, and I, you know, I, I get it. I, I suppose it's injuries, but for some reason, it seems like Mariota gets a little bit more of a pass than Winston does. And it's interesting to me because to me, they're very similar, um, not in style, but in you know where I value them. 
And that's not very high because I just don't think that they're very good at the quarterback position. So it would not shock me if Bruce Arians decided to bench Jameis Winston, you know, before the halfway mark of the year for whoever, just for someone new, just because Jameis Winston, he, he makes those boneheaded plays in the worst possible times. And you just shake your head. Like, what was he thinking? And it seems to be a consistent thing that he does, you know, once or twice, you know, a, a game and you're just wondering what, what he was looking at or what he's doing. And I don't think Bruce Arians is going to, is going to put up with that. So especially with the weapons that they have, there's really no excuse for that offense not to move the ball, um, you know, consistently game in and game out. So yeah, I, I, I think that this is, I, I, I expect it to happen to be honest with you. I feel like those, those problems especially kind of crop up when, like I said, when they're running the two minute drill, when they're running no huddle, and I've seen this firsthand, me, you know, me and Stompy, we've seen this with Paxton Lynch. That was the issue with him and Tim Tebow for that matter. I mean, you can't, you know, you could, you, you had to shuttle in one play at a time for those guys. You couldn't go hurry up offense because they couldn't remember more than one play at a time. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not meant to be a knock against those guys. That's just not within their, their competency. You know, that's just not something that they're really capable of and they're not ever going to be. But with Bruce Arians high paced offense, I mean, you you have to be able to go no huddle. And I don't think I, I don't think that he's going to be happy with Jameis Winston's limitations as far as that goes. But let's get to the last ones here and uh, we'll run through them a little bit faster. Uh, but we're going to we're going to kind of combine some of our segments here. So obviously you're nuts. And then we're also going to take one that we use during the regular season, during in season, and we were actually very effective with this one. This one was always a lot of fun, and uh, we were pretty accurate too. But we did uh, what we call next week, this week, and we were looking for players that you could pick up now before they break out next next week. Well, we're going to start to use here in the off season. We're going to start to use a segment that we call next year, this year. And so right now we're going to talk about what what 2020 is going to look like a year from now and with some bold predictions. And again, we'll start with Stompy. What happens in 2020? And uh, yeah, show us your nuts. So in 2020, I predict that Leonard Fournette will no longer be a starting running back. And that's because Hmm. Leonard Fournette has not been effective as a running back thus far in his career. He has averaged 3.9 and 3.3 yards per carry, 3.3 being his 2018 numbers. Um, The only reason that he is valuable in fantasy is purely because of his volume. And he's not as good, good enough of a pass catcher to mitigate any bad running that he puts up. Yes, he can catch balls. I mean, he had he caught 36 in uh, 2017. He was 22 of 26 in 2018. So he can catch them, but he's not like an elite pass catcher. So it's not like he's got this other skill that kind of hides that he's a poor runner. And he's also missed 11 games in two seasons. We already know about his ankle issues. 
He also had this suspension last season, which is another thing is that Tom Coughlin, though he has expressed some confidence in him in the offseason, so we could call it front office speak, if you will. Um, he has he lost the confidence of Coughlin this past season and enough to where they removed all of the guarantees, I believe, out of his contract. And I just think he's not good enough and he's too much hassle that the Jaguars may cut him and save $4 million against the cap and go in a different direction. And that Fournette will be more of a, I guess, bruiser, uh, short, um, third and short type goal line back for a team next season. I'm going to go out of order and just say that I do not think this is nuts at all. I think this is probably the most likely scenario, in fact. I think in order for him to keep to 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 keep a starting job, he would have to stay healthy for the entire season. Like that's kind of the litmus test for for him and I just don't see that happening. So, yeah, I'm fully on board with this one. Yeah, I here's here's my thing. I'm I'm going to kind of transition into mine here because it it's it's very similar um so i i guess i'll start by saying that i i kind of agree i kind of think that this is there there's a very good chance that this happens um so i don't think you're very nuts at all um i i agree with what john said leonard fournette's gonna have to stay healthy uh for the full season to to save his job and i don't understand how anybody could could you know think that that's that's, you know, likely, um, you know, from what we've seen so far with him, uh, because he is injury prone. Uh, so hey. I, that, Hey, <laughs> we don't say that here. No. Hey, all running backs are injury prone. Oh, um, okay. No, that's okay. Fair. All right. So, <laughs> oh, no, but, oh, we just right. make up rules in the middle of everything. Is that what's going on? Yeah. I, I, I could get away rules. with that one. I, yeah. I make up rules. So thanks dude. Here's the thing, too, is that, and I'm going to get into mine here, too, because I think part of it is the 2020 running back class is so strong, which means there are going to be teams that, I mean, are going to have a talented running back looking at them in the draft, and they're going to have to make a decision on whether or not they want to roll with their guy who hasn't been healthy um, or whether or not they want to take a a guy who could be a a total playmaker and an electric playmaker. And a total difference maker, yeah. So yeah, you're pulling out all the, all the terms that that we no- normally don't allow. Is Chris Carson available in the rookie draft? <laughs> in 2020, he is not. But if he was, <laughs> I don't even think he would be the top rookie take. And that's how good these guys are. So <laughs> yeah, da- he won't be close. Da- Delvin Cook, in, in, uh-huh. and here's mine. Delvin Cook will be either in a committee or an outright backup in Minnesota in 2020. And my, my reasoning is, is very much the same as what I think with Wonder Fournette is that Delvin Cook's going to have to stay healthy for a full season. And if he doesn't stay healthy, Minnesota's really going to have the same decision Jacksonville is. Do we want to rely on Delvin Cook, you know, a guy who we haven't seen stay healthy for a full 16-game slate? Do we really want to rely on this guy going forward as our bell cow running back, or do we want to invest in a guy? And this is the year to do it because in 2020, there is a ton of playmaking running backs coming out. Do we want to invest in a guy that we feel like could be that bell cow running back that we thought Cook was going to be and either, you know, 
invest in a timeshare to keep them both healthy or, you know, to outright just replace Dalvin Cook. So to me, that's a real possibility. So that's that's why I'm kind of thinking along the same lines uh, as Stompy was with Fournette, but actually with Dalvin Cook. So tell me, guys, am, am I totally nuts for thinking the same way with Dalvin Cook? I think this one's wild. I just, I cannot get behind it. He has been, Cook, when healthy, has been super effective. It's not a Leonard Fournette type. Like, Dalvin Cook, outside of the ACL and um, respective recover or, or su- successive recovery, has 4.8 yards per attempt and 4.6 yards per attempt the last two seasons. And that's with, like, the recovery from the AC- ACL injury the first half of last season. He's also a ex- very effective pass catcher. Um well, he had 7.6 and 8.2 yards per reception. I just, he's such an electric playmaker. And I heard. No, he's not. There's yes, one. Yes, he is. He's an electric playmaker. I love Dalvin Cook, but there's one of those. <laughs> it's Chris Carson. Okay. Well, that's enough from you. I'm bringing Dalvin <laughs> Cook into the fold. Um, <laughs> well, I can't but argue. I, I, um, and I, I can't remember exactly what Matt Waldman said, but. Um, it basically has to do with, and maybe it was called their angular velocity, but he is so good at maintaining his speed while getting around corners and, and, um, moving around people. And that is why he's been so effective the, in his first two seasons, in the NFL. Now I do get the quote unquote injury prone tag, um, but it's hard to say if he's injury prone because of this one major injury that results in, in and I've said this many a times results in and and I'm outhouse has said it too, but it results in compensatory compensatory injuries like hamstrings, and that's what we saw last season was him dealing with a hamstring the first half, and then the second half he came back and exploded. So I just, he is such a, I'm not going to say electric here, a fantastic playmaker, a fantastic running back that I just don't think they can, he, he, he's a three down back when he's healthy and on the field. And I just don't think you can replace that. Yeah. And, and real quick, let me preface this by saying I, I totally I, I buy into Delvin Cook as a talent. I do. And I, I think that you made a very good point that talent-wise, he's there. My problem is, is that he's been healthy for 15 of, an, of, of a possible 32 games. So less than 50% of the time he's been healthy. If he can't put together a, a, a full slate of 16 games or even close to that, I, I think Minnesota really has to wonder whether or not he would be better off and just be just as a fact just as effective, but healthy for a full 16 games if they can get him in a timeshare. So that's more my argument than talent-wise because I, I do get that. And I, I do buy Delvin Cook as a talent. I'm just worried that his injury history and, you know, if he doesn't stay healthy a full 16 games, then Minnesota might look to to put him in a timeshare. Oh, you're nuts. Uh, okay. James, to use my words, it makes me feel upset and hurt and 
scared. I'm scared for us right now. I'm scared we're, for mm-hmm. you and I. We're in a, we're right in a therapy. Mm-hmm. We're in a therapy. Couples therapy right now. It <laughs> yeah. makes me feel. Podcast co-hosts probably should go to count the couples counseling sometimes. I think uh, I think they would be uh, they would definitely feel a little bit more comfortable talking to each other um, in in a, a a productive and a constructive way, which is how I'd like to talk to James right now because I'm 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 very I'm very angry and I'm very hurt right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to say that Dalvin Cook is has missed uh, what was it fifteen of a of a possible thirty two games. He's been healthy 15 of possible 32, yep. He's been healthy. So he's missed 17 games, and that included, what, 14, 15 in his rookie year to an ACL. Wow. So, I mean, it, it, it's it's not quite – it doesn't quite work that way because it's not like he was on the field and then hurt and off the field again. He missed the entire season with an ACL. You know, it's it's not like it was some kind of recurring injuries or, you know, like a pattern of getting injured throughout the course of the season. He just straight up missed the season with a torn ACL. And then, you know, like like Stompy said, like Outhouse always says, the the compensation on the hamstring and it played out. It played out again last year. But again, yeah, like, you know, once he was healthy. To me, the other thing about about the explosion that you get with Dalvin Cook is just the just the acceleration once he gets the ball. He gets to the hole faster than you know the 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 linebackers who have a line of sight, who have a who have direct access to it. And where I always say that the running backs get tenderized like a piece of meat, well, Dalvin Cook doesn't really have that because he's He's getting to the to the point of contact far before the linebackers do. You're seeing him getting tripped up more than anything. He's not getting blasted the way most of these guys do. So I don't think that the injuries are going to be an ongoing thing. I think that the ACL was was the the reason for the rookie year and for the first part of the of his second year. And you know, again, it was a compensation thing. To me, Dalvin Cook. In it, I I do acknowledge that he has to stay healthy. That's true of everyone. We're we're all we're all day to day. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Point, wait a minute! So John is standing up for Delvin Cook, but he won't stand up for any other running back as being day to day like we all apparently are. Yeah, I'm, Listen, I'm, forever, for I'm forever injured, so I'm <laughs> yeah. always day to day. We're we're always on the verge of an injury. It's just that most of these running backs are more likely to have it happen because they're more likely to take that big, vicious contact at, at, at the point of contact uh, on a run up the middle. But on a design run for Dalvin Cook, I mean, he's he's going to get there before the linebacker does, and they're not able to, to line him up the, the way most running backs do. But, I mean, he's still what? a running back. There's, it's, what? <laughs> What? He's not even that athletic. <laughs> what? Yes, he is. Oh, just... Yes, he is. Uh, are you gonna try and put numbers athletic. on this, or or can we just watch some tape for once? He's athletic, <laughs> fine. But now you're saying like most running backs, where guys like I don't know Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, yeah, Ezekiel those- Elliott. Those those guys don't have the explosion. Oh, okay. 
I, I'm not talking about athletic profile right now because I don't care about that. I'm talking about what I've, what I see when I watch these guys. And Dalvin Cook gets to the hole and through the hole so much faster than than really any other running back that I've seen. But maybe that's the maybe that's turning into a hot take. But anyways, to me, Dalvin Cook has an opportunity here to be the running back one overall. I'm not worried about his job. I'm, I, you know, it, there, there is the issue with staying healthy. That's every running back, but you know, assuming health, at least a reasonable amount of health. Yeah. I think that not only is he going to keep his job, I think that we're going to be drafting him in the, in the first round of startups next year. That's not, not even, that's not even what I'm arguing. I'm not even arguing, assuming health. I'm saying that he uh, first off he missed 12 games his rookie year not 15 or 16 he also only played 11 okay, games but, his he, second year. but so, he missed all of his games after he tore an acl well well sure sure just like any running back would but i mean it, it's not like he just missed all sorts of games one season and played you know mainly a full season the next year he only played 11 games started 10 of those games because he came in off the bench on one of them so he he only really i mean he did miss five games last year. So I, if that happens again, which is what I'm saying is likely giving his track record is that, no, that no. I think Minnesota will end up replacing him. And how can you say, no, he's played two Damn NFL it. seasons and none of them has he but played he over 11 games. So I, <laughs> he missed one with an ACL injury. I no, I understand what it's he not like. Before, he was, but, it's not like he was on and off the field in his rookie year. No, no, I, I get that. I don't care how he's injured. If, was, he's, if, was, if he blows another ACL, if he blows another ACL next year, he's going to be in a committee. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if he blows an ACL, he's he's not he's not going to be in a committee. He's going to be out for the season again. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm saying in 2020 because we're looking ahead. So in 2019, if he blows an ACL in 2020, he won't be a starter. I'm just saying that given his health issues so, that he's had. So I we're assuming like the worst case scenario for Dalvin Cook and nobody else. I am assuming that Dalvin Cook is going to do what he's done his NFL career, which is not play a full I'm 16 games. Aaron ACL. But that because that's the only way that this happens. That's the only way. No, I don't works. think so. If if he plays if he plays ten games and he misses a couple games here and there, I think he's in a committee next year. I think he has to play at least thirteen games for them to look at him and go, okay, we feel comfortable with Delvin Cook being our our bell cow running back moving forward. If not, I don't think Minnesota would feel comfortable with him, and I think this would be the year to draft a running back to put him in a timeshare or to replace him outright. I don't. I don't think that's necessarily the case either. But I, I mean, that's in that hypothetical and unlikely scenario. It's maybe, maybe. But you're still nuts. All right. All we, right. We, I got a maybe. I'll take it. <laughs> we've been going way too long, and we still have one more to get to. And I'm, I'm a little terrified to throw this one out now because uh, I don't think that we have the time for you guys to berate me over this. But I'm gonna do it anyways. James Connor is going to be drafted in the top three running backs in 2020. I wanted to go top five. I just didn't feel like that was quite hot enough. So turned up to temp a little bit. Top three for James Conner. You know, I can see it. So I don't think it's that nuts. Nice. Okay. All right. Um, and the reason I say that, and I, I'm going to agree with you on this again, this is going to tear up my soul. <laughs> it's good for you, man. 
It's like is a multivitamin. That, you need yeah. to agree with me once a day. It, it'll be, it'll do your your body and your soul so much good. Or, or I'm gonna hate myself forever. Um, There's always that possibility too. <laughs> so, in general, top five, top ten running backs recycle or don't recycle very often. I think it was like oh, four out of every 10 at some point this last year, notwithstanding. I'm um, so happy to hear you say that. Yeah. <laughs> and before James Connor went down with, was it the concussion? Was it, I can't remember what injury it was. I think it was wow. the concussion. He yeah. was, I believe on, he was a f- top five running back, I believe. Yeah. And he's taking over a very voluminous role in in what we saw Lev Bell we saw what Lev Bell could do in that role. Now I don't think voluminous. I did. Yeah. Oh man. That. That's a that's a nice one. I like that. If you're gonna download my takes, maybe uh on into your own hard drive, maybe I could uh take that one. Okay. Voluminous. <laughs> I'm going um, to work that into my daily daily conversations. I love it. Uh, so he – Connor finished as the RB6 last season in 13 games. Mm-hmm. If he takes over even like let's just say 75% of that Lev Bell role, mm-hmm. I, I can see him being top three because – Connor had 71 targets last season in 13 games. I don't know what that pace is. Uh, he had 973 yards on the ground, 215 attempts. So, I mean, you're probably looking at 250 attempts next season, probably 80-plus targets. While that's not Lev Bell-type numbers, you're still approaching extremely high-touch numbers. And you're still approaching 1,500 plus yards, and if you can get into double-digit touchdowns, it's very, very feasible. And like I said, with guys like Todd Gurley, who are probably seeing their work or their their um, load monitored because of the arthritis, uh, we we've seen some things from Ron Rivera saying that Christian McCaffrey needs to be protected a little bit. Saquon Barkley. Well, I still think he he's just going to get a ton of work. Is in a worse offense because of the um, Odell Beckham Jr. trade. There's there's definitely a path there, and with running backs being more injury prone, ugh. <laughs> the. There, there's Jeff. I mean, I could definitely see it. Obviously, James Conner is, is a running back and is more injury prone. But I mean, hey. any any given season, that that top ten kind of um, turns over. And so, yeah, I I definitely see a path to top three for James Conner next in 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 twenty or in twenty nineteen, and then he would be taken there in twenty twenty. All right, I'm gonna break up this butt sniffing convention you two got going on here. <laughs> hey man, yeah, it was it. It's a it's a good thing that Stompy has such a rough, gravelly voice as opposed to my smooth, dulcet tones because 
Otherwise, I, I was starting to think there might be an echo in here. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. There a, there a lot of running back hate in there. Felt good, didn't it? I didn't say there was hate. Alvin Kamara is still going to be the RB1 next season. There was a lot of running back hate, and then there was running back love for a running back that doesn't deserve it, and that's James <laughs> Conner. <laughs> Look, I, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts, John. Look, Pittsburgh's yeah. offense as a whole – it's taking a huge step back. They lose Antonio Brown. That whole locker room's obviously got some issues with Big Ben, with Le'Veon Bell sitting out, with Antonio Brown leaving. Uh, you know, now they, you know, they lose Jesse James. Which say what you want, but he was he was a, a valued pass catcher for for Big Ben for a while there. So I think this offense as a whole is taking a step backwards. Um, I don't know what they're going to do to try to replace the talent that they lost. Um, I like James Washington. I don't think he's anywhere near. Uh, you know, ready to replace, and and no one really is ready to replace that that Antonio Brown production. So I'm not saying that that's a fair comparison. But when you lose a piece like that, it's going to hurt. And I, you know, I think now you can start keying in a little bit more on the run game. Make Big Ben beat you with some of the targets that he has. I like Schuster a lot, but I mean, there's a lot of unproven commodities all over the field outside of that. So I don't know that James Conner is stepping into the same offense that Le'Veon Bell was was at, or that James Conner was playing in last year, even. Um, so that's my problem with it: is that I don't think this Pittsburgh team is nearly as good on the offensive side of the ball as they had been um, in previous seasons and even last year. And so that's what makes me worry about James Conner and his opportunity and his his. I don't think he gets the scoring opportunities that he had. Um, I could see him getting phased out late in games if they are behind. I mean, Pittsburgh's defense was very hit or miss last year, um, but there were a lot of games that they gave up a lot of points in. So, uh, you know, I, I while I think James Conner can be a good running back, I definitely don't think top three is a possibility for him. Um, if everything falls right, I, I don't. I, I mean, maybe six or seven. I'm thinking. So uh, that's that's just where I'm at with James Conner. I just I I don't know that I'd be that high on him. I, I know I wouldn't be that high on him. I don't even, I wouldn't even have him in the top five uh, for running backs. And I know that you kind of did a breakdown stompy of what you're expecting from some of those running backs or what you could see happening with some of those running backs that are currently ahead of him. And while I could see that too, there are some running backs that are behind him that I could see outperforming him as well. Uh, so I, I, I don't see James Conner being a top three running back for me. Yeah, it's pretty ambitious. I'll, I'll definitely give you that. Uh, just to, show my work on it real quick. It's basically, it's, I mean, I think you're right. You know, that the offense as a whole takes a step back, but to me, what that means is a more balanced attack rather than, you know, two to one pass to rush. I think that you see a lot more uh, reliance on the running game. I think that the, that the passing game is credible enough that you still have to worry about it with Juju, with James Washington, with Dante Moncrief, with Vance McDonald, and uh, and with James Conner, quite frankly, out of the backfield. And I think Jalen Samuels can also play a role in the passing game. But anyways, you know, there's still plenty of weapons there. There are 166 targets abandoned by Antonio Brown. I think a lot of that gets dispersed throughout the, you know, the, the wide receiver and tight end groups. Uh, but I also think that a certain amount of that is just going to go, it, they're going to turn into to run run plays rather than um you know attempting to uh to make the the wide receivers the pass catchers absorb all of that so i th i think that you start to see a more balanced approach i think there's more volume available to james connor than there was even last year 
And uh, I don't think that he has to be particularly efficient in order to get there. But yeah, top three, that might be a lot to ask. But all right, so we have gone <laughs> way, way longer than I thought we would. Sorry, that's on me. That's what we do. I thought you. I, I heard you on mute, Stompy, and I thought I thought this is a point of the show where uh, where you tell me to relax and relax. Uh, okay, R E L A X. Relax. <laughs> He's your favorite quarterback. Relax. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, anyways, though, um, I'm I'm gonna relax and wrap up this episode for the week. And as we do, we're going to ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcasts, the mega feed, and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you'd give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you the option, but on the ones that do, we'd really appreciate that. And here's another way you can help the podcast out. Ryan McDowell's Fantasy Follows podcast category will be coming out soon and we'd love to get your vote on twitter if you were going to give us a rating and review at any point but never quite got around to it here's a way to do something quicker and easier with the same amount of potency so make sure you're following ryan he's at ryan mc 23 so you don't miss the announcement and whether it's a vote or a rating and review you're helping us to expand our reach and get out to a larger audience so we can involve more people in the conversation and zero in on all the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. In the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at SuperFlexShow. You can also send them to any one of us individually. Stompy's at FFStompy. James is at underscore JamesTheBrain. And I'm at SuperFlexDude. We can retweet them, help you get more votes and more comments, and sometimes even bring them here on the podcast and analyze them. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song The Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Bye.